The more the world changes, the more we find comfort in things that never change. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome, everybody, to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show again. I'm so happy that you're tuned into this podcast and that you're able to uh, take the time, invest the time, because, as you know, I do everything within my power to make sure that you get a high return on your investment. And we're going right today into the question of why it is that in this whole strange world of transgender, the strange world in which a small child is allowed to declare him or herself a different gender, and how we have created a new reality um, in the world of, I should say, the depraved and degenerate world of Western liberalism, whether that is in uh, Europe or in the United States of America, uh, whereas the, the chromosome structure you have, once upon a time, it was pretty clear, other than a tiny, tiny percentage of people with a severe medical condition, by and large, people who have two X's in their chromosomal structure are female. People who have an XY structure are male. People who have a uterus and ovaries are female. People who have a penis are male. It was pretty clear. But today, the worst thing you can say is that there is a binary gender structure, binary meaning two, that it's only male or female. Well, it is only male or female, but if you say that today, you are lacking in compassion, you're lacking in sensitivity, uh, you're not progressive, you're primitive, and uh, you are bad. Now, that's, that's really how it is. And so... We have many parents who still retain a semblance of normality who are profoundly upset to discover that their 11- and 12-year-old daughters go to the bathroom in school, which is also used by a hulking 17-year-old 12th grader wearing a dress. Um, They're not happy, and they are correct not to be happy. But... um, Interestingly enough, by exploring this a little more deeply, I think we're going to get a sense of why it is that left-leaning intellectuals, academics, those who regard themselves as secular liberal progressives, seem to love Islam. Oh, they hate Christianity. Oh, they hate the Latter-day Saints Church. They hate the Mormon Church. But, oh, they are so comfortable with Islam. Why is that? Considering that uh, if Sharia law ever gets established anywhere near where they live, they will fall and become its first victims. And so you would have thought that they would be doing their utmost to defend Christianity and to proudly proclaim the superior achievements of Christian civilization, but no. But no, on the contrary. Everything about Islam has to be protected. Everything about Islam has to be 
walked around delicately on tiptoes so as, heaven forbid, no offense should be given. All I'm doing is observing. All I'm doing is asking, why would that be the case? And in order to understand that, we do need to ask another question. (laughs) You see, this is in the finest rabbinic tradition. Ask a question, you don't get an answer, you get another question. But uh, by the time we're done with this particular program, uh, I do think that a lot of these questions will be wrapped up. At least that is my plan. And uh, as I go through my pages and pages of notes that I laid out in front of me in preparation for uh, presenting you with this material, uh, at least by the last page, I have things wrapped up. And uh, my goal is to make sure that I convey that to you adequately as well. And so the first question that uh, is the question that is the answer to the first, first, first question, well, okay, the the question we have to look at is in the strange world of transgender where uh, there are men who decide they want to be women, there are women who decide they want to be men, and... uh, and, and that's accepted. In other words, you now determine your gender. It has nothing to do with birth. It has nothing to do with uh, genetic structure. It has No, it's your decision. And, of course, this is uh, part of the secular dream, to be totally and completely in control. And that is why the, the dream of secular progressivism abolishes God, this is one of the reasons, I believe, for the extraordinary, uncontrolled, prolific spread of lawsuits. Why? Well, (laughs) because there's no act of God. No matter what happens, somebody has to pay, because we humans are in total control. What hubris. Isn't it extraordinary? And this is one of the reasons that uh, abortion is so much an issue on the left. It has to be. It's the ultimate litmus test. There is no way today that anybody can rise in the Democratic Party unless they are an outspoken advocate of abortion. Anybody who is even the slightest bit queasy about the uh, procedure has no future on the left. Why? Again, Total control. The idea that a person's life should be controlled by something external to themselves. And look, even far-left progressives, even secular liberals, everybody understands that the baby, the child, the fetus growing in a woman's uterus um, is not just part of her body. It's not just like a fingernail, as many feminists have uh, notoriously claimed. Not at all. Everybody recognizes that it's someone else. It's another person. Everybody knows that. If they didn't, there wouldn't be the slightest bit of controversy. If they didn't, there'd be no unease. If they, if they didn't, they wouldn't even claim, as Bill Clinton famously did, that abortions should be few in number, legal but few in number. Why? If it's like cutting your fingernails, let them be as many as they like. It's because everybody knows that it is killing another human being. Everybody knows that. And, uh, and, you know, nobody cares if you cut your hair and sell your hair to wig makers. Many women do that. 
Nobody cares if uh, if uh, you you dr draw off some blood and donate it. Everybody's fine with that. And so what's the problem with uh, aborting a baby and selling the parts as Planned Parenthood has been doing? Well, <laughs> the reason everybody, even on the left, is embarrassed about that and queer because they know it's not just a part of a woman like hair or fingernails. No, it is another being. They do recognize that and they absolutely do know that. And the idea is that there should be absolutely no external controls on me. The uh, complete uh, power of the individual is a cornerstone of liberal theology. It is the individual that must determine everything. And this is, again, an explanation for why euthanasia is on the increase in Western Europe and in the United States. Because once again, to allow God to determine when somebody departs this world is out of the question. It's outrageous. We're not having that. We have to decide that. And you can call it death with dignity, and you can call it whatever you like. But everybody really knows that it's taking a life. Everybody knows that uh, taking one's own life is not acceptable because deep down we all know that that is a decision that we leave to God. It's not our decision. Um, and how comforting it is, how comforting it is for people of biblical faith to be able to know that not everything is our decision. You know, there are people who make the most dreadful mess raising children. There are people who should never have children, people who probably didn't want children. There are people who live selfish, dissolute, degenerate lives. Uh, children grow up in unwholesome environments, very often with uh, a sequence of the mother's boyfriends in and out of the house, absentee fathers. And you know what? Every now and then, a child like that with all the odds stacked against him turns out to be a phenomenal human being. There are other parents who give their children every advantage of an intact family and a strong socioeconomic background, and a child goes off the rails. We all know cases like that. And uh, if you're a parent listening, may you be spared such a pain. But it happens because you know what? We are not in total control. There are certain things that the good Lord decides. And uh, it, it seems to me to be a harsh world to live in. If you don't know that, if you are uh, an individual of an entirely and total secular bent, that does mean you're pretty much claiming responsibility for everything in your life all by yourself, unless you're going to say that uh, life is in the grips of some capricious statistical monster and that uh, things happen just because they do with a hopeless randomness that speaks to an ultimate emptiness of life. But uh, liberalism, secular liberalism and progressivism believes no, no external force like God should determine end of life. Individuals should. It's your body, right? And if your body happens to have what most people recognize to be a baby growing. It's your body. It's your decision. No external decisions. Nothing at all coming 
from anywhere else at all. And the worst of all the external decisions is whether you were born male or female. Because it's absolute. Yes, Agatha, we do live in a world of binary gender determinism, where it is predetermined other than in a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of people who are born with with physical uh, distortions. And, uh, and you know, there is a tiny, tiny fraction of people who are born with the uh, sex organs of both genders. But overwhelmingly, the way the world really works is that uh, you're born either a man or a woman. And guess what? It shapes your life enormously. If you are born as a woman, the odds are overwhelmingly, yes, I know there's one or two exceptions, but overwhelmingly there's going to come a certain time where your entire being is going to yearn uncontrollably for a baby. You are going to be willing to do almost anything to be able to give birth to a baby and hold that baby in your arms. That's what happens if you're a woman. If you're a man, then you are born with an almost impossible to resist drive towards women. To look at women, to experience women in the plural. And civilization is built on bringing those two urges together in a very specific way. But uh, liberalism rejecting out of hand any idea that there is an external force that determines these things utterly rejects the idea that you can be born a man or a woman and that should shape your destiny and that should impact the kind of life you're going to be. No, you will decide. And if everything were completely straightforward in this story, why then we would find the same number of men wanting to become women and the same number of women wanting to become men. But such, my friends, is not the case. And so while we take a real quick break here, go visit my website at youneedarabbi.com. www.youneedarabbi.com. And uh, hang on right there because I'll be back with you in just a moment. Ancient solutions to modern problems. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. America WK with your host, Andrew WK. Always question yourself the most, then question others. But if people make you question yourself, then we can be thankful for them, even if they do it in ways that are unpleasant. It's been said before, and I'll say it again, it is the speech that we most disagree with that we have to fight most passionately to protect. America WK, Saturdays, 10 a.m. to noon on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome, everybody, and back to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Radio Show. The episode is episode 13. This is the 13th of the podcasts uh, here on the Blaze. And uh, I don't know whether you're listening on uh, iTunes or SoundCloud or uh, any any one of the many other places you can be listening to this, but... Uh, as long as you are listening, I'm grateful and uh, urge you to be in touch with me. 
I uh, uh, really appreciate that. You go to my website at www.rabbidaniellappin.com and uh, hit the Contact Us tab, and uh, that way you can let me know how you feel about the podcast. Uh, I'm still interested in knowing whether people are comfortable with the length. Uh, I, I must say that to me it feels excessively long. Not that I don't enjoy doing it. I love it. I can, I can easily do it. I can do a double-length one. But uh, it seems to me I'm asking a lot of you to, to – uh, and, and I know you can interrupt. I know you don't have to listen to it all in one go. But uh, at any rate, please go to my website, rabbidaniellappin.com, and uh, hit the Contact Us tab. Let me know. Let me know how you feel about it and uh, if there are anything that uh, you'd like to critique or anything in the way of topics you'd like me to, uh, to, to get to. I'll be happy to do that. And uh, while you're there, I'd also like you to take a look at the resources in the store. And I think you'll be astonished at uh, what we have available there in terms of both uh, material in the form of writing, uh, books and audio and visual material, all of which are focused on improving your life in certain areas, uh, areas of family and friendships, in other words, socially, in the area of faith, uh, for those of you interested in that, and in the area of finance, which impacts almost everybody. So all of that at rabbidaniellappin.com. As we move along with um, the second segment of episode 13, pointing out that if uh, things were absolutely straightforward, if the, if the left was correct, that in reality uh, people just don't feel happy with the gender they were born in and they uh, switch and they should be able to switch and people should be able to declare that they are male or female or, or anything at all. I mean, why stop with male and female? And sure enough, they don't. The number of letters added to the... Uh, the, the, the alphabet soup, nomenclature, uh, L, G, B, T. I mean, I mean it's, it's, it's a lot. But if they are right, then we should have the same number of men transitioning to women. And you understand that I don't accept that anyone can transition. I don't believe that a man who cuts off his penis is now a woman. I think he is uh, a mutilated man. That's, that's my view, and, uh, and I, I believe it to be the correct one. I believe that time will prove that this is a sad, tragic, sick period at the tail end of Western civilization when this uh, extraordinary misunderstanding is being promoted to the masses by elites that uh, are either ignorant, fools, or malevolent. So uh, history, history will tell that. But he, I, I don't know the exact number of how many American men want to become women or how many American women are trying to become men, but here's what I do know. What I do know is that there are about four times as many men trying to become women as there are women trying to become men. And so for, uh, for every hundred people experiencing gender confusion, three or four of them are men. For 
or if you like, uh, um, uh, it's it's three or four to one. So uh, about um, eighty would be uh, um, men trying to become women, and about twenty would be women trying to become men. So many, 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 many more men claiming that they really are women than there are women claiming that they are really. Now that is interesting. That would suggest that this is, you see, it's very significant that that's not a balanced number. Very significant. Because if this was just a case of people choosing their gender, you understand, right, that there should be the same number of people in both directions. Statistically, when you're dealing with 300 million people in America, and you've got a certain number of people, and nobody knows what the number is. Uh, some, uh, some in the in the in the medical profession, sort of working that end of the industry, uh, speak about a hundred thousand people in America right now going through gender uh, confusion. And I, I have no idea, and I don't really care. But what I do very much care about is that statistically, it should be equal in both directions. There's no reason at all why it's more desirable, uh, you know, it, it, there is actually, but I mean, according to the way the left argues this, there's no reason why there should be more men trying to be women than women trying to be men. It should be absolutely equal, equal in exactly the same way as there's roundabout the same number of men and women born every year, roughly, very close, uh, then there should be the same number who are born women, although they feel like men, as there are born men who feel they should be women. But the numbers aren't even close to parity. Not even close. Three or four times the number of women wanting to become men are men wanting to become women. The overwhelming majority of people in gender confusion, in a state of gender <laughs> decision-making, uh, the overwhelming majority are men trying to become women. And as a matter of fact, it's quite hard uh, to, to find examples in the other direction. That needs looking at. What also should be mentioned in passing, I think, I, I, I should just mention this, which is that, um, look, uh, if, a, if a young girl suffers from anorexia, do we just start buying her oversized clothing? Do we say to her, you know what, because in your head, in your mind, in your soul, You've decided that you're not a beautiful young girl with a slim figure, but that you are an ugly fat girl and that you must stop eating and you have to starve yourself and you must make yourself throw up. Do we say, we understand, yes, you're a fat person, that's all. We're going we're gonna to buy you oversized clothing. We don't do that. We give her psychiatric treatment because we recognize that what we need to do is help her mind and her heart and her soul fall into synchronization with her body's reality. Hello, you're not fat. Now, we just got to help you see that, and then you won't feel you've got to starve yourself. Then you won't have anorexia. So why is it if that same young girl decides she's a boy, we go out and buy her boy's clothing and we push her into the boy's bathroom? Why don't we do the same thing? It's weird. And this is the point I'm trying to make, that there's something very special about gender. If anybody can see that a slim young girl who decides in her head that she's fat needs help, we all know that. 
But when it comes to gender, the culture is being pulled in the direction of secular fundamentalism. Secular fundamentalism utterly rejects the idea that there is a God that shapes human life. Secular fundamentalism utterly rejects any notion that there is a good and loving God who sculpts human lives. And it is God who made me a man. It's God who might have made you a woman. And that is the situation. We accept his will. <laughs> right? But that is so fundamentally contradictory to the lifestyle and the worldview of secular fundamentalism that it is as infuriating, no doubt, as a uh, crucifix to a vampire, I'm told. It's absolutely infuriating. It's as infuriating as vegetarianism must be to a cannibal. It's absolutely unacceptable. And that is why that when it comes to a young girl who thinks she's fat, we say, no, 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 you're not really. Your body is just what it is, and now we've got to help you see that. That same young girl now says, I'm a male. And we don't say to her, hey, take a look at yourself. You're a beautiful woman. You're not a male. We've got to help you see yourself for what you are. That's what any normal, sane, healthy society does, and by the way, always has done. Right? There's always been people uh, in a society with, with mental conditions, sometimes uh, more serious than others. But uh, there's always been people who have delusions, who, who think uh, that the reality inside their heads is the real reality. We don't reshape their world to conform to what they see in their hearts and what they see in their minds. No, we help the minds adjust to the reality in which they live. What could be more basic to mental and physical health? What could be more basic? If somebody says, you know, I really believe I'm a dog, right? we don't start having him live under the dining room table and we feed him scraps off the – we don't do that. If somebody decides he's a toothbrush, and I'm not, I'm not being – any more flippant about this than absolutely necessary. We don't take him and put him in the bathroom. We help him. When somebody says they're fat and they're not really, we help them. But if somebody says, I'm not the gender that my body says I am, all of a sudden, oh, yes, we agree with you. That's absolutely right. Let's reorganize all of society to make absolutely certain it works out just the way you say and that's because the alternative is unacceptable. The alternative means there is a God. And that is unacceptable. And therefore, we have the entire uh, gender confusion world going on. Okay, so why is it that there are many more people choosing to be women? There are many more men choosing to become women, if you'll pardon the, the, the phrase, then there are women choosing to become men. That is what I'm going to explain coming right back. Again, you know that I like you visiting my website, www.rabbidaniellappin.com. Don't forget, rabbi's got two Bs in it. And here's a complication, Rabbi Daniel Lappin. Well, Daniel ends with an L and Lappin starts with an L. And some people 
well, some people don't get both L's in there. So uh, I was actually thinking of uh, changing my name to Fernando. Uh, it's quite a complicated procedure. You've got to get a new passport. But I was thinking Rabbi Fernando Lappin is people are less likely to make mistakes on that website. But for the moment, until I change my name to Fernando, it is RabbiDanielLappin.com and I, your rabbi, will return in just a moment. You're listening to Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Find more at theblaze.com slash radio. Buck Sexton. One of the defining characteristics of the American left is a complete, not just a lack of moral clarity, but an intentional destruction of moral clarity. It's not just that they don't understand what is more and what is not. They want to make sure that nobody else can tell either or that people lose their basic moral compass because then it's, of course, easier to control you. Buck Sexton, weekdays, noon to 2 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to the Blaze Radio Network On Demand with Rabbi Daniel Lappin. Here we are back again, and uh, this would be segment three, the third segment of um, the 13th episode of the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. So welcome, everybody, to number 13, and uh, here we are on to the third segment as we continue exploring how the world really works. And if there is a glaring anomaly that you can observe as you look out of the window of your mind and you discover that whereas there really ought to be exactly the same number of women trying to become men as there are men trying to become women in exactly the same way that there are the same number of women born every year as there are the number of men born every year, fine, 51, 49, but uh, it's basically identical. But the number of men trying to become women is four times the number of women trying to become men. Now, that is an anomaly that is worthy of exploration. And nobody better than your rabbi, that would be me, Rabbi Daniel Lappin, here on the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show to explain why that is. Okay, so uh, here we go and get ready for a wild and woolly ride because uh, this is... Um, this is not easy material, I've got to tell you, and uh, I uh, spent time seriously laying it out, trying to figure out a way that would be least offensive, least problematic, least disturbing, uh, in, in the hope that I will be able to provide you with a genuine service, that by the time we're through with this 13th episode of the podcast, you are going to be able to take away with you uh, something of use and uh, something of value. So, my friends, we're going to start off with the fact that um, it is, in many important ways, nicer to be a woman than to be a man. Okay. Let me explain what I mean. In a way that is quite different for girls, boys find from a relatively early age, they find themselves tormented by the question of what they're going to do. Now, I realize, look, the last thing I want to do is be offensive. But the most important thing I want to do is tell you the truth. And so I fully understand that there are many dads there who listening who are hoping their daughters are going to become 
uh, the Carly Fiorinas uh, of the world, highly accomplished, uh, highly uh, successful, the 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 uh, Sheryl Sandbergs of the world, and uh, she's the uh, author of a book that I don't particularly recommend called Lean In. Sold many, many copies, but uh, if you read a review online, you'll have pretty much everything you want. Um, and she's very successful in high tech, a Jewish woman as it turns out. Uh, sadly, her husband died very young recently uh, while on vacation. It's a sad thing, but uh, this isn't about Sheryl Sandberg or it's not about Carly Fiorina. I'm just saying that there are many, many successful women out there. But me, myself, I regard a woman who devotes herself to being a phenomenal wife and a phenomenal mother as just as important. And from the point of view of society, from the point of view of contribution to the culture and to the, the country, I think she's more important than the Carly Fiorinas and the uh, Sheryl Sandbergs and uh, certainly uh, certainly more important than the Hillary Clintons of the world. And I, I just picked those three. But each and every one of us know women uh, who are out there and, and are working. I also want to tell you something else very uh, honestly. And, I, and if, if nothing else, my friends, on this podcast, I am honest. I am telling you the truth. Now, there are times where I have been known to uh, embroider a story a little bit, where I've been known to elaborate just for the sake of theater, just for the sake of the, uh, of the, the joy of the uh, recounting. But right now, none of that. I'm telling you the truth, and, uh, and I am willing to take the various blows that very often are, uh, beat the back of those who tell the truth. I'm going to tell you very directly that um, I, if I have a complex legal, dental, medical accounting problem, in any of those areas, I choose a middle-aged man over a woman. Now, there have been times where I've been treated wonderfully. I had a dental emergency when I was uh, lecturing on an incredibly intense lecture tour in England recently. And um, I, <laughs> I finished a morning speech. I had an evening speech. I had to get from one city to the next, and uh, I had to find a dentist. And I was taken uh, to a wonderful woman dentist in a small town uh, in the Midlands in England, and uh, she was an angel. She was absolutely magnificent. So uh, you understand. I mean, I'm, I'm not making uh, specific statements. I'm making generalizations. In general, if I have an accounting problem, I want a middle-aged man. If I have a legal problem, I need a middle-aged man. If I have a dental problem, I'm looking for a middle-aged male dentist. If I have a medical problem, I'm looking for a middle-aged male doctor. Why? Just think about it for a minute. Overwhelmingly. Now, yes, Agatha, I know there are exceptions. Your niece is one. But otherwise, overwhelmingly, women do not work full-time. Guys do. They're building careers. In the case of women, many, many, many women, the overwhelming majority of women, and I, I can give you the exact numbers because I've looked into this, 
the overwhelming majority of women who are accountants, lawyers, dentists, or doctors work three or four days a week. Very few of them work more. The majority of men in those professions work five or six days a week. Now, I want you to understand that the bulk of what you learn to help your customers or your clients, I don't care if you're a plumber or you are an engineer or you are a doctor, lawyer, accountant, or dentist, the majority comes after you leave school. And I'm sure this is something you all know. It's called experience. And the, the majority of your effectiveness comes from things you pick up when you walk out of the door of your professional school. These are things you pick up by doing. And uh, yes, there's continuing education. People, people get credits. They still keep on. Because you want to be up with what's latest, you stay in touch with, uh, with the educational world. But the majority is learnt on the job. And that means that if I am going to go and place my problem in the hands of a female professional, she has probably had about 60 to 80% of the experience for any given age, right? You know, 40, 50-year-old uh, man or woman, the woman has 60 70, 80% max of the experience of the man. That's just how it is because she hasn't been working full time. And what you learn is on the job. And so if I've got a tricky situation, challenging legal, challenging uh, accounting, challenging medical, challenging dental, I want every ounce of experience to be brought to bear on my problem. And the odds are, now again, I, I might find myself in a situation with a woman professional and she's wonderful and that's great and everything's terrific. And in my experience, that's been the case in a number of instances. But there is the statistical angle to contend with. And who knows, but in this particular situation, you just may need something that is seen very rarely. And if it's a situation that is seen only very rarely, then somebody who's been working five or six days a week for 20 years has had a better shot of seeing a few of these cases than somebody who's been working three or four days a week for that same period of time. And so I, I, have, to, I have to lay that out. That's a very, very true thing. And understand, I'm not saying you can't get fantastic um, uh, treatment, fantastic help from a female professional. And most times it's just fine. But I'm saying that if you do need everything going for you, then you need somebody who's had more experience than somebody who's had less. I'd rather have somebody who's 20 years out of school than five years out of school. And among all the people I know who are 20 years out of school, there's two categories, men and women. And the women have about 60 to 70% of the experience of men for any given same period of time. Exceptions, there are out there. But by and large, that's the rule. Now, I'll tell you all of this. In order to help make sense of a, a, a proclamation that I just made, which is that um, in many important ways, it's easier to be a woman than a man. A man starts off, even as, as a young boy, they start thinking about 
what are they going to do? Now, you know, I've told you in the past that um, that I've my wife and I blessed with six daughters. And from the time our oldest was three years old, and then she was four and five and six, and she had several sisters behind her, and then time went by and there were six little girls in the house. I was in danger of tripping and breaking a leg every day of the week, sliding down the hallway on a bridal magazine. Yes, we had many, many bridal magazines around the house all the time because from the youngest age, little girls imagine their weddings. Now, I'm not telling you something you don't know there. You know that's true. You also know that very few people speak like this because uh, it's considered to be completely out of line with progressive thinking. It's like saying little boys like playing with guns and little girls like playing with dolls. You know it's true, but of course we're not allowed to say it. And uh, if your little boy goes to public school with a toy gun made out of wood that shoots elastic bands, you know what is going to happen to him. It's going to turn you into a homeschooler whether you like it or not. That's what's going to happen. Not allowed to say these things, but little girls imagine that uh, they imagine their weddings. So much so that uh, they they even see the staircase they're going to walk down in. They see their dress, and then next to them they see a tuxedo, and there's a, a, a blank oval where the face goes because they don't know what their husband's going to look like, but it doesn't matter. It's the entire structure of the wedding, and I regularly advise uh, young men seeking my counsel. Uh, premaritally, they're, th- they're about to get married, and the wedding is under I, – I constantly urge them to be aware of the fact that the structure of the wedding is really important to their fiancé, to their bride. I understand that they couldn't care less. And I say to them, look, I know you wish you could say to your bride and to her parents, particularly her mother, you wish you could say, tell you what, why don't you tell me the address and the time and I'll be there. But don't do that. You'll, you'll, you'll upset her. She'll be sad and she'll cry. And you don't want to bring tears to the eyes of your bride because she wants you at the rehearsal dinner and she wants your input on what flowers on the table and she wants your input on whether to seat Grand Aunt Agatha at the same table as her ex-husband Fred or whether you have to seat them at separate table. All of these things. She wants, your, she wants you to be as seriously committed to that wedding as she is. But it's a different thing. We guys couldn't care less. We don't think in terms of the weddings. But you know what we do think in terms of? From the earliest age, boys are, I'm going to use the word tormented, not everybody is, but many are, they are tormented by concerns about how they're going to become fathers and husbands, how they're going to make a living, how are they going to make money. And there are many girls who think in terms of their careers as well, but it isn't the same. It's just not the same. There are several other reasons why it is easier and more desirable in many ways to be a woman than a man and uh, why it is that many more men are trying to, quote, transition to women than the other way around. I'll be telling you them as soon as we come back with segment number four in just a moment. So you stay there and don't forget to go to my website, rabbidaniellappin.com. Be back with you in a moment. There's still more to come from Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. 
miss the morning blaze with Doc and Skip. John Boehner is not even going to finish his term. He's going to resign because he finally got the Pope to speak to Congress. Is that right? Had I known this four or five years ago, I would have started a letter-writing campaign for Benedict. Hell, had I known where John would end up 15 years ago, I would have started a letter-writing campaign for Pope John Paul II. The Morning Blaze with Doc and Skip. Weekday mornings, 6 to 9 Eastern, on the Blaze Radio Network. We now return with Rabbi Daniel Lappin on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back, everybody. The Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, episode 13 of the podcast series, and uh, we're on segment number four. And uh, I welcome you. Thank you for investing your time because I am solemnly dedicated to uh, revealing how the world really works, making certain that you get a return on your investment, that in exchange for sharing your time with me, you walk away with information that makes it easier for you to understand how the world does really work and how to be able to use that wisdom in shaping the variables in your life to your advantage. And we're talking about uh, why it's easier to be a woman than a man. And and obviously, yes, I mean, there are many ways in which it's harder. Childbirth is, is really rough. Uh, it is very difficult to sit at the phone on Saturday night waiting for a guy to call you up for a date. Um, it's tough to be going out with a guy for month after month after month. Or, tragically, if you are not a smart girl, year after year after year, waiting for him to propose to you. These, these are all very difficult aspects of being a woman, no question about it. But there are also very key and crucial areas in which it is easier in a very basic way. Let me give you um, another insight into a way in which it is much easier to be a woman than a man. And uh, this has to do with the area of sex. It so happens that um, the way the good Lord created us, or, of course, for those very welcome participants in the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, for whom uh, there is no God and who live in a secular world, well, in that case, the way we evolve through a lengthy process of unaided materialistic evolution. See, I care about you as well. Uh, I cherish every listener to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. For uh, whichever way it is, the way we are is that with men, our sexual vigor, our libidos, our uh, sexual vitality is very much tied up to our jobs, to our financial performance. That's a very real thing. Uh, that simply is not true for women. How do we know this? Well, unfortunately, over the last 50 or 60 years, uh, there have been a number of areas in the United States that have had massive financial declines. So, for instance, if you think of uh, areas like um, uh, the, the Pittsburgh area, parts of Pennsylvania, parts of Kentucky, places where steelmaking was an essential part of the economy, and vast numbers of men earned their living tending to the blast furnaces that poured out miles of steel that went into the auto industries and all the various other industries, building railway lines. Steelmaking was a big part. Well, you've heard of the Rust Belt, right? And unfortunately, we've had ample opportunity to study what's happened to men 
in those parts of the country where the uh, uh, opportunities to make good livings began to decline and large numbers of men found themselves out of work on welfare and uh, what do we find? We find very real sexual dysfunction in, in those areas. In other words, to put it bluntly, a man has to perform. A man is only a man if he performs. How does that work? Well, if he performs at work, if he brings home the bacon, if he drags the buffalo back to the cave. It's quite inescapable. And this is why it is that some slacker guys like rudely referring to women who are interested in the ambition and the financial ability of guys, they rudely refer to them as gold diggers. Oh, those girls are just after the money. Um, guys, if you believe that, you are morons. You really are. Because the way men and women are created is that women are drawn to men with ambition. <clears throat> Look, a mark of masculinity is a man who moves his world. A mark of masculinity is a man who moves his world, and women are drawn to such men. A man who doesn't just accept his world as it is. A man who's not fatalistic and says, well, I, I guess Allah just wanted me to be a poor, poverty-stricken peasant. No. It's a man who picks himself up, forces his ambition into line with his achievements, and he gets out there and moves that world. And that is very attractive to women. And guys who don't know this are um, tragic victims of an educational system dominated by progressivism and secular liberalism that doesn't help them realize it. But uh, uh, a girl is a foolish girl if she doesn't look at the financial ability of a man she's dating. Woman is seriously thinking about a man. They're courting. She has a feeling that he's serious about her. Listen, you need to know what he's doing for a living, what he plans to do for a living. It's vitally important. That is part of who he is. And if he is a man who's going to be forever embarrassed by what he does, awkward about it, uncomfortable about it, not enjoying it, not able to throw himself into it, then she's going to have a man who's going to be miserable to be married to on every level, social, sexual, financial, no good. So this, this is pretty important stuff we're talking about. And uh, it's stuff that I know as I'm talking, I know you're sitting there and uh, you're thinking of all kinds of people in your circle, might be family members, might be friends, might be work associates, and you're saying to yourself, if only they knew what I'm hearing. And, uh, you know, feel free to point them in this direction or shoot them to my website. But people do need to know this. It's, it's the difference between living a happy life and living a failed, frustrating existence. And so this is one of the very big differences. When a woman loses her job, she doesn't become less sexually desirable. She becomes more sexually desirable. You say to yourself, what? Did I just hear him say that? What is he talking about? What is that about? And <laughs> the answer is a beautiful test 
that uh, is done in uh, schools of psychology fairly early on. I mean, uh, you know, this isn't sort of, it's not sort of advanced psychology, but uh, I've seen the, the study many, many times, been done a lot of times, and it, it's quite phenomenal. In a nutshell, here's what they do. Um, they uh, take test groups of guys, and they take uh, photographs of women, and under each photograph, they put a name and an occupation. And so, you know, they say um, Angela, um, radi radio radiography nurse, um, Betty, lawyer, uh, Charlotte is um, a preschool teacher, um, uh, Diana is a uh, high-powered accountant, and so on and so forth. And then they ask men to rate uh, these women on attractiveness. And then, bless me, do you know what they do next? They take all the occupations and they switch them, and then they show them to other groups of men. And now all the women who were listed as being lawyers and high-earning jobs, high-earning occupations, now get made into uh, preschool teachers, nurses, uh, and so on and so forth, and all the ones who on the previous round were lower-earning female occupations now get moved into high-earning And would you believe it? Without exception, the women in low-earning positions are seen as more beautiful, more sexually desirable than those in higher-earning positions. Now, this is all subconscious, right? There's no way that when I'm shown that picture, I think to myself, well, let's see, I, I, find, uh, this, I find this occupation more sexually desirable than that occupation. No, it's, it's not. It's all subconscious. Because, my friends, what a man needs more than anything else is to be admired, respected, and needed by a woman. And that's, that's why it is that in the Mark Twain stories, the little boy climbs up into the tree to win the admiration of the little girl, or he walks, he balances on top of the fence. He just wants her to look up at him and see him as somebody special. And um, the fact is that women who don't need men are just not as attractive to us as women who do. And when I have to go off to work every Monday morning and every Tuesday morning and every Wednesday morning, every Thursday morning, every Friday morning, and I work much of the, the weekend as well, if that was only for my boss, only for my job, only for my employer, if that was only so as I can get a second car, it just wouldn't be the same to me as it is that I'm doing it for my wife and children as well. That changes everything. One of the reasons, now again, this is like highly illegal. I'm not even allowed to say this, let alone practice it. But I will tell you that insaner times in America, large corporations only hired married men. They were more stable, but above all, they threw themselves into the work more because they were working for a higher cause. Not for themselves, but they were working for a woman and for their children. And that, that changed everything. And uh, until relatively recently, it was well known, IBM used to have one of their interviews, an executive at IBM would take the new hire to dinner with his wife. 
had to be with a wife because they wanted to see the interaction between husband and wife. They wanted to make sure it was a strong wedding before strong marriage, before they extended an employment offer. Now, of course, all the stuff today, not allowed to do. But surreptitiously, I, I speak to many, many companies. I counsel many companies, and many executives tell me that although they're not allowed to do this, they do favor hiring men who married for the extra stability, for the extra drive, for the extra enthusiasm. My point is that uh, sexual vigor, vitality, and identity are tied to your performance as a man, but not as a woman. When a woman loses her job, and this I've had reported to me by countless women that I speak to, uh, when a woman loses her job and is in financial trouble, her romantic life blossoms every time. When a man loses his job and is in financial stress, his romantic life dwindles. Sexual dysfunction, almost not known with women in this context. With men, very common. In fact, um, doctors tell me that uh, when men come to them for sexual dysfunction, the very first question is, uh, you know, what is, uh, what's your financial situation? Or, or do you have, is your work going well? And nine times out of ten, things are not going well work-wise. Things are not going well financially. Really important, really important to understand because this is parallel in the actual act of physical intimacy between a husband and a wife. Who has to perform? Have you ever heard of female performance anxiety? There's no such thing. Male performance anxiety? Sure, everybody knows what that is. Because it just so happens that the, the way the good Lord created us, and, uh, oh, yeah, the, the way we evolved over lengthy periods of time, um, the, the, the reality is that the act of sexual intimacy is affected by the man being the active one, the woman being the passive one. For that reason, we understand the man is the giver. The woman is the receiver. The giver always has to be more active. The giver has to perform. He has to do it. The receiver receives. It's a very big difference. It's a fundamental distinction between men and women and helping to understand why in this critical aspect of gender identity, being a man is more demanding more frightening, requires more drive and discipline than being a woman. And in a moment, we'll be back, and I'll trace this all the way back to fetal development. Before you're even born, what this thing about this strange mystery about men and women, how this all comes together. And we'll be able to also understand just why it is that... Left-wing liberalism, that modern Western progressivism just loves Islam. What's this got to do with what we're talking about? You will be astounded. I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin. My website is rabbidaniellappin.com, and I will be back with you in just a moment. More to come from Rabbi Daniel Lappin, revealing how the world really works. On demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss.
fat and stew. A hundred years ago, there was nothing you could do about heat wave except stay away from fat, sweat, sw uh, smelly, sweaty relatives. Now we today can that would be except stay away from Jeffy. Yes, stay away from Jeffy. Uh, <laughs> now we can do this magic thing called condition the air. Condition <laughs> what? Yeah. Thirty-five thousand wow. window air conditioners cost about two point five million dollars. Pat and Stu, weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. With stories in the areas of family, friendship, faith, and finance, this is Rabbi Daniel Lappin. Only on the Blaze Radio Network On Demand. Welcome, everybody. The uh, 13th episode of the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, and uh, we are into segment five out of eight. So we're halfway through today's show, or I shouldn't say today, because uh, you could be listening on absolutely any day of the week, and you're welcome regardless of whenever you choose to listen. In fact, many of you listen to the podcast over a period of several days, and uh, I appreciate that because uh, it is a long podcast. I'm very aware of that, and uh, as many of you know, I have been thinking about the length and uh, and talking with, with some of the more experienced voices at The Blaze to determine whether we're going to keep it at this length or, or change it. But meanwhile, it is what it is. And uh, your comments, your communications with me personally, very much appreciated at rabbidaniellappin.com. That's right. If you scoot over to the website, www.rabbidaniellappin.com and hit the Contact Us tab. And uh, that way I will absolutely see your letter. And as many of you have already discovered, uh, many of them I actually answer personally. Um, how many? About 30% uh, about I actually end up answering. Now, the, the number of, of letters I get has been going up, so I'm not sure what's going to happen on that. But uh, read them, I absolutely always do. So thank you very much for that. Okay. Um, explaining why it is that uh, uh, three to four times the number of men try to transition to become women as opposed to women trying to become men. And uh, as a matter of fact, um, even uh, just while I was recording this podcast here in Jerusalem, Israel, uh, I became aware of yet another case of uh, uh, a little boy who's 14 years old. And the mother is proudly, uh, with the collaboration of a quack doctor, supplying this 14-year-old boy with estrogen patches, giving this boy dosages of uh, female hormones. 14-year-old boy, what, what does he know? My goodness. Um, you know, if, all right, anyways, it's, uh, I'm telling you, future generations, historians will look back on, um, the first couple of decades of the 21st century in America, and I don't know if they'll call it child abuse or mass insanity or, or gender nuttiness, but uh, I'm trying to explain in this podcast what's driving it. And in the earlier section of the podcast, I did point out that this, at its most fundamental, is a desperate desire to shrug off the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Bible who said, Male and female, right? the opening chapters of Genesis, male and female, he created them. Above all, that must be extirpated. That has to be eliminated. At no stage are we willing to even contemplate the notion 
that an external God decreed what we are and what we should be. Absolutely not. My 14-year-old son wants to be a girl. <laughs> hey, bring on those estrogen patches. That's where we are today. And uh, I pointed out that um, it's a lot harder being a man than a woman in, in a number of different ways. Uh, and even at its, at, at its most basic, even at its most basic, uh, when it comes to the act that unifies a man and a woman, it is the man who has to, and I use the word perform. I'm using that word deliberately because we use the same word in business. We use the same word in the work environment. We expect you to perform. Your performance hasn't been up to scratch. Your performance is excellent. That's what we're talking about. In other words, there's a link between work and sexual identity, but it's a link that is there for men and to a much lesser extent to, for women. As a matter of fact, even beyond that, which is that uh, a man, as I explained in the last segment, a man has financial stress, loses his job, and his sexual performance will suffer. Not inevitably, but very often. With a woman, no such link whatsoever. Now, this is also uh, tied into the fact that, uh, my friends, I, I wish I could tell you this wasn't so because there are many, many marriages that are in this situation. But I will tell you right now that uh, marriages in which the woman out-earns the man are very difficult to sustain extremely difficult to sustain. Marriages where uh, the uh, man says, you know, uh, we're going to put her career ahead of mine and he stays home and runs the household and, and she's at work every day, very, very tough to sustain. She loses her respect when is what happens in nine-tenths of the cases. When I say nine-tenths, um, in my experience, and I've done a lot of counseling in this area, I meet a lot of couples, have met a lot of couples, uh, I will tell you this right now, that in cases where uh, the woman dramatically out-earns the man, it's very tough for that to be sustained. Uh, I know a particular case of a doctor who desperately wanted children, and uh, she had postponed relationships, she had postponed marriage till she had become a highly trained and qualified specialist, and it was very difficult at that point, very, very difficult for her because she was very high earning, she was older. Yes, and that does matter, my friends. And again, uh, this, is, this is painful for many people, and I, the last thing I want to do is, is cause pain. And please know that my heart is with you if you're in this situation. But, uh, but it is important to know that all things being equal, Right, any sane man would rather marry a younger woman than an older woman. Right, that's very, very basic. It's that's not hard to understand. Age is much more important to a woman than it is to a man. One of the reasons is that men continue to produce seed reproductively till late in their lives. Women usually stop somewhere halfway through their lives, and that makes a very big difference. Right? Nature is unfair. Nature doesn't devote itself to the doctrine of equality. And as human beings, any attempt to change nature is uh, doomed to failure. We do far better learning how to adapt ourselves 
to how the world really works. And that's why you're listening to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. And so, yes, uh, sure enough, maleness is something that takes a lot of energy. And just think about it. Just think about it. People expect a man to have manly virtues, courage, honor, leadership, ambition. These are tough things. And yes, I I keep on feeling the need to issue the caveat. Yes, there are women like that as well. But overwhelmingly, that's not the case. Men are expected to be able to shoulder the burden. Men are not allowed to make things feel better by sitting down and having a good cry. See, a lot of guys don't know that crying makes lots of women feel better. And men are perturbed, especially in the workplace where a woman bursts into tears. And the, the supervisor shakes his head because he's just had the same conversation with a guy in that position who wasn't performing up to scratch, and they had a good talk about it, and everything is fine. Now he had to talk with a woman in that position, and she started crying. And he simply has no idea how to deal with it. Yes, Agatha, men and women are entirely different from one another. From when? Well, here's where it gets kind of interesting, because they don't start off that different from one another. Let me explain it this way. Gentlemen, take off your jackets. Okay. Now, um, take off your tie as well. That's right. That nice yellow tie you like wearing, take that off. And now, if you don't mind, would you unbutton your shirt all the way down? You guys just wearing a T-shirt, yank it off over your head. But uh, everyone else, go ahead now, unbutton that shirt. And I want you to look down at your chest. And, um, and no, not at that finely sculpted set of six-pack abs on your abdomen. No. No, I want you to look on your chest, a little higher up. You got a lot of chest hair there? Well, just probe through the jungle. What do you see on your chest? What do you notice there? Spotted it yet? I'll give you a clue. On most of us guys, there's two of them. Got it? like little nubs. They're actually dysfunctional nipples is what they are. They do not lactate. They do not provide milk. They don't do anything. As a matter of fact, on many mammals, they're not on male mammals. Many male mammals just don't have them. But male humans do have them. Why? Well, I've explained before that uh, the good Lord created us in such a way that the uh, physical aspects of the body mirror certain spiritual realities about ourselves as well. But uh, for now, not so much theology and more biology. And uh, here's what happens, my friends. What happens is that uh, in utero, uh, when a, uh, an ovum is fertilized, from that moment, that fertilized ovum is either a male or a female. Its chromosomal structure is either XX for a female or XY for a male. And uh, that's what's going to happen. So we know whether it's a male or a female. However, here's the crazy thing. And that is that for the first period of development in the uterus, it looks exactly the same whether it's destined to be a man or a woman. Isn't that weird? Absolutely the same. And, um, uh, 
you can actually, gentlemen, you can actually, and um, let me think about how to uh, phrase this in a uh, discreet and appropriate manner, um, you can actually notice a sort of seam that runs down the, the center of the male scrotum, which indicates the way something that would have been an opening get, got closed up. What happens is that uh, for the first eight weeks, the development is the development of every fetus looks female. In other words, and that can be something of a blow to us manly types, uh, to discover that for the first eight weeks of our existence, we're <laughs> actually cute little girls in utero. That's what we look like. All the, the, the sex organs all look the same. But then an amazing thing happens. For every fetus with an XY chromosomal structure, in other words, every fetus destined to become a male, at about the 60-day point, it suddenly starts getting jolts of the hormone, male hormone of testosterone. And that gets pumped into this uterus. And all of a sudden, all the milk-producing structure that lies within the behind the nipples, well, that goes away. And uh, those things that were going to be um, uh, a uterus, well, guess what? That now turns into a penis. And the, uh, the, uh, the egg structure becomes testicles. And the, the, uh, the, uh, the, the male hormone of testosterone pumps away in there, and uh, with this enormous infusion of chemical energy, what was a female-looking uh, fetus, but one that was destined to become a male because it had XY chromosomes, that starts getting this massive infusion of chemical energy in the form of testosterone, and little by little, the shape of the, that tiny little creature around about the eight-week point starts changing. And all those things that looked the same as they would be if it was going to be a girl now start becoming masculine and male. And uh, on it goes. And so the nipples that would have become functional lactating nipples had there not been an XY chromosomal structure and had there not been a massive infusion of chemical energy in the form of, uh, of testosterone, well, those now just remain there in that fashion. But they remain there as enormously valuable reminders to us that our default state is female. The basic condition is female. What's this got to do with anything? Well, I'm going to uh, move on now to the how much more difficult it is to raise a boy than a girl. How much harder it is to raise boys to be men than it is to raise girls to be women. And uh, if it's harder, that means it takes more energy. And more energy is being pumped in in exactly the same way as we saw in utero. And that means, therefore, that you can tell much harder to be a man than it is to be a woman in that sense, in that area. Obviously, as I said earlier, there are many other areas where, uh, where it is challenging and, and, and tough and demanding to be a great woman. More of that as soon as we come back here on the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. Don't go away and uh, visit the website, rabbidaniellappin.com. Be back with you in a moment. Ancient solutions to modern problems. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin, on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. 
Jay Severin. We are all guilty of anti-Muslim prejudice because, the kid, mind you, the kid who nibbled a Pop-Tart into an L, he gets thrown out. Kid who did a pencil drawing of a, a gun of an L, he gets thrown out. Kid comes to school with red and yellow wirings in a thing that looks to any sensible human being over the age of three like a bomb, and it's the school's fault. Jay Severin. Weekdays, 2 to 5 p.m. Eastern. On the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for being part of the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. You are part of it, you know, because uh, I count the downloads. I'm absolutely obsessive about this. Middle of the night, I wake up grab for my iPad or my phone and race to have a look at the latest download figures. Why? Because that's how I connect with you. That's how I know you're there. Because I'm sure you understand that uh, for me, speaking into a microphone and uh, recording this podcast only makes sense if you're listening to it. Imagine how utterly meaningless it would be if I was told, guess what? Absolutely nobody is listening to it. Nobody ever will listen to it. But don't worry. We're going to pay you double. We're going to make it well worth your while to do it. I must tell you, my friends, you know, I may well force myself to try and do it just for the money, but it'll be probably the hardest work I've ever done. To be able to explain something meaningfully, knowing that nobody's ever going to hear it, to speak into a microphone that is not attached to anything at all. The wires go nowhere. It, it would probably have to be one of the most grueling, heartless, unpleasant jobs that I could ever imagine. It would be like spending my day being forced to dig a ditch and then being told the next day you need to fill in the ditch you dug and then the third day dig it again, and all the time I'm trying to persuade myself that my boss made a mistake. He really, really, really needs me to dig this ditch because he's going to lay some important fiber optic cable. And But then he said, close it in. Well, I guess he must have just made a mistake. It's going to be somewhere else. But no, then he made me dig in exactly the same place. The fourth day he makes me close it up again. And pretty soon I get the idea that I'm being given soul-destroying, dehumanizing, meaningless work, which does absolutely nothing for anybody else. That's got to be one of the worst things imaginable. And so this only makes sense. This only excites me. This only fills my senses with passion and enthusiasm because I know you are there. Talking about the uh, structure of uh, males and females, how it is that uh, for the first eight weeks, whether a fetus is going to be a male or a female makes no difference, it looks female. That's the default condition. It's like female is given. And now you want a male? Now you've got to start pouring in the chemical energy in the form of gallons of testosterone. Okay, not really gallons, but you know what I mean. And... Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, that just echoes what happens after birth. What takes much more energy and effort to raise, a boy or a girl? And uh, I'm not just drawing my answer from my own personal experience. My wife and I are blessed with only one son but six daughters, and uh, 
But that's not, that's, that's not where this comes from. This is how the world really works. This is what I've heard from thousands of parents. It's what I have learned from thousands of years of human experience captured in the writings of ancient Jewish wisdom. And my guess is that it will correspond comfortably with your own life experience. What I mean to say is that uh, if you neglect a male baby, you utterly neglect him. What are the chances he's going to grow up to be? Well, it'll, I think the chances are, and I think this is something that those in law enforcement confirm again and again, uh, he's going to grow up to be a criminal, going to be a thug. He's going to violate laws. He's going to hurt people and harm people, harm property. He's going to be a really, really bad thing for civilization and for society. If this boy is utterly neglected, he's probably going to grow up to be a wild and dangerous man, a brute, a thug. Yeah, it's true. If there's no father in the picture and uh, the mother is preoccupied with a sequence of boyfriends and the child is raised by television and public school, by the streets, the locals, the neighborhoods, that kid let alone doesn't stand much of a chance, but neither do we when he becomes the predator that is the natural condition, the default state of the human male. Now what happens if you neglect a female? Well, it's very sad and tragic for her, obviously, but uh, I'll tell you what happens to her. She becomes the prey of those predator males we were just talking about. She'll become pregnant, she will engage in small and petty crime. She'll shoplift and, uh, and write bad checks. Is she likely to kill people to a much lesser extent? Yeah, and I know there are female gangs out there. But for the most part, for the most part, the default condition of a woman is motherhood. The default condition of man is destroyer. And only through what I believe to be the biblical blueprint of male and female cooperation are we able to provide the very best for society and the most fulfilling environment for both a man and a woman. But my point is that it takes a lot of work to raise a boy into a man, a lot of work. It requires diligent, nonstop attention from a mother and a father. And then the boy can become the man. It is much easier for the woman. Much easier. Because left to herself, a girl, for the most part, is going to attach herself to a man, usually in a loving way and in a trusting way. She will usually be abused and badly treated by that man. But she herself, She's doing what she's programmed to do. She's doing what her body pulls her to doing. But if a man follows his body, he will be pulled into sexually predatory behavior, financially predatory behavior, physically predatory behavior, very different. And this is why we've uh, spoken many, many times about the fact that being married to a woman is what civilizes a man. 
that entire marital structure, marriage from a, of a man to a woman, is what makes society po- uh, possible. And I've often pointed this out, that if you don't believe me, just imagine that you are uh, stuck, your car runs out of fuel, middle of the night, strange city, obviously not a great part of town, and uh, your cell phone's out of batteries just to make things even worse. And now you see six figures approaching, and they're silhouetted by a streetlight, and you just see six people approaching. You don't know what to do. Should you start walking in the other direction? Should you lock yourself in your car? But you know this is potentially a bad situation. And your heart starts pounding, doesn't it? Because it's fight or flee. The, uh, the adrenaline is pumping in your body, getting you ready to either run or to fight. You know this could be bad. And then as they get closer, you suddenly notice that it's not six men. It's three men out with their wives. Now, how do you feel? Relieved or not? I don't think there's any doubt about it, is there? Because you know as well as I do that men married to women make for a civilized society. But wait a second. What's going on here? We're not, we're not through with this yet. Because, you see, masculinity and femininity applies not only to individuals, but also to societies. There are entire societies that evolve towards masculinity, and there are societies that evolve towards femininity. And my friends, here's the tough part to swallow. But I urge you, please, don't reach out and turn me off. Uh, Just hang in there for a little bit longer. And then weigh it up. Think about what I'm describing and ask yourself whether it corresponds to what you see in the world around you. And only that way will you be able to determine whether what I'm telling you, even if it infuriates you, even if it drives you crazy, just might still be the truth. And here is what it is. Ladies and gentlemen, secular liberalism, progressivism, socialism, the left, makes a society feminized. That's right. It feminizes society. What do I mean by that? Well, a, a socialized progressive society has large numbers of people waiting to be sustained, supported, and cared for. By who? By the government. That's right. And the government grows and becomes strong and masculine. That's right. In order to take care of all its wives. Who are they? All the folks who are expecting goodies from government. That's right. Well, when, no matter what your biology is, no matter whether you have a penis or whether you have a uterus, it doesn't make any difference. The fact is that if you're standing in line to receive a handout, and that is the mode of life you're living, you become feminized. And uh, the only two responses to that is you either accept it and you become a much more feminized man if you are a man, or alternatively, you resist it and fight what's happening to you by violence. And violence reassures you that you are, in fact, a male, even if you're not actually behaving like one. That is one of the great tragedies of the times in which we now live. And so what happens is that, um, and this is certainly true over the years in America, uh, America has become feminized. America's foreign policy has become a feminine foreign policy. 
it's become a foreign policy of doing very little. The performance isn't there because we have become a more feminine, a more passive society. And I, I hope that, that you understand the spirit in, in which I explain this. Right? I'm not suggesting all women are passive and do nothing. I'm not saying that at all. But in, in terms of changing the world, you know, uh, I, was, I was so amazed by something Camille Paglia. Camille Paglia is a female academic. I think she's, a, I think she's always thought of herself as, as a woman of the left, but she's amazingly honest. You know what she said? She said uh, if society, if everything was up to women, we'd still be living in grass shacks. What did she mean by that? What she meant was that um, if you look at the structures of society, see that building going up on the corner? See the cranes towering 400 feet in the air? How about that bridge being built? You know who's doing all that work? It's all men. See the roads being built? It's all men. Wait a sec. I've heard that there are women who work on the roads. Yes, you know what they do? They hold the slow go, slow stop flags. Have you noticed them? Roadworks change a two-lane road into a one-lane road, so they have to have turns. And they have a flag man. Nine times out of ten, you know who it is? The gal on the crew. <laughs> Sorry, it's true. That's who it is. Because you know who's working the, um, that pneumatic drill that is vibrating every tooth in his head loose while it's breaking up the concrete? Yeah, that's a guy, if you hadn't noticed. How about uh, the people down 300 feet under the Gulf of Mexico laying oil pipes from an oil well or uh, operating in a heavy diving helmet capping a well that's out of control? Yep, those are guys, men. Uh, see that smokestack in the factory that's being built up to carry uh, fumes up into the wind layer? That's a 400-foot smokestack. Take a look who's uh, held onto it with scaffolding and rigging to keep him up there in the wind, that's a guy. Um, folks on the, uh, on the factory floor of the Boeing Airplane Company, want to see who they are? Yep, those are guys also. My friends, there are jobs that women gravitate to and there are jobs women do not gravitate to. And if these are jobs that require physical performance, they're going to be filled mostly by men. Glass ceiling, women kept out of them? Well, you might say so, but it's by nature, not at all by any evil conspiracy of men with XY chromosomal structure. Nothing at all like that. All right, uh, quick break, and uh, when we come back, we'll move right on to why it is that uh, liberal societies find themselves drawn to Islam. Well... Remember I told you that there are male societies and female societies? All right, you wait and see where this takes us. Blow your mind. I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin, back in a moment. You're listening to Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Find more at theblaze.com slash radio. Chris Salcedo. There's so much angst and consternation, in my view, is that Donald Trump and the outsiders are dominating the field, and it makes the political establishment very, very nervous. This is, as I said, all of this stuff's going to work out in the wash. We're four months out before any voting starts. We've got the time to explore these issues. 
Chris Salcedo. Saturdays, noon to 3 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Rabbi Daniel Lappin returns with more of how the world really works on the Blaze Radio Network On Demand. Welcome back. We're on uh, segment number seven out of eight on the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. This is the 13th podcast, and uh, I welcome you very much. Thank you for being part of it. This is the podcast where your rabbi, that's me, Rabbi Daniel Lappin, reveals how the world really works. And uh, if you fail to grasp that there are not only male and female human beings, but there are male and female societies as well, well, then you'd be missing out on something very fundamental to how the world really works. Nazi Germany, male or female culture, right? It was a very masculine culture, very masculine. Um, as you look around, and, and of course, in, in human beings, it's binary. With human beings, it is male or female. With societies, it's much more on a spectrum. It is a tendency, and the reason is because nowhere in Scripture does it say, you know human societies, male and female, God created them. You know religions, male and female, God created them. No, it's human beings, God created binary, male or female, one or the other. Uh, societies have characteristics, and societies very often change. Now, um, how's about, what would you say, um, is the main characteristic of Islam? Would you say it's more male or more female? Well, would you say it tends towards violence? Yeah. Uh, would you say that the role of women is very downplayed and it's a male-driven? Yeah, I, I think you might just perhaps draw that conclusion. And um, would you say that it is a, um, a provocative aggressive kind of culture? Yeah, absolutely. Islam, without question, very, very masculine culture. Right? Now, what works best? Well, in exactly the same way that uh, human society works best when male and female come together in marriage and create families and raise children, in exactly the same way, societies function best when they're not either all male or all female, when their characteristics are not either all masculine or all feminine. Uh, what do I mean by that? Well, uh, if you have a society that is just all feminine, it is, it is compliant, it is compassionate, it, is, uh, it tends to being opposed to action, it is not... It doesn't provoke. It's not out there. It's not asserting itself. Uh, you know how it is that uh, a lot of the books being written today for women in business speak about, and, and this is something Sheryl Sandberg's book, Lean In, speaks about as well. Again, it's not a book I'm necessarily recommending. You can read the review of it. But one of the points she makes is that, um, that when men, generally speaking, are told a salary range when they're uh, being hired, they see that as a negotiating, but they start on that and they discuss it and they elevate it. Uh, women accept it for the most part. Okay. Now, I don't know if you can train a woman to be different about it. Maybe you can, maybe you can't, but it's not in her nature for the most part. I, and, you know, people can rise above their natures. 
people can do things that uh, go against them, so not necessarily to your benefit, right? It's not necessarily something that, that is really, really good for you, but, um, but you know, we can, all, we can all contradict and betray our natures and in certain areas that, that's good. You know, if your nature is to be uh, uh, an alcoholic or a, or a shoplifter, well, you, you want to rise above that nature and control it. But if your nature is, is to be a, uh, a, a very good and honest person and you, you say to yourself, you know what, good guys don't, don't succeed. I, I'm going to turn myself into a lying, thieving, cheating scoundrel. You probably can do that, but it's not going to be who you are. And so uh, uh, societies work best when, uh, they are, when they have the capacity dealing with external threats in a very masculine way. But it's the same kind of uh, same thing, dealing with uh, internal issues within the society with a compassionate heart. But if they're all compassion, well, then they're going to end up with a society mostly on welfare, a society uh, that is so willing to be taken care of that the whole society becomes feminized. Well, we've got to be very careful. We've got to try and walk a narrow path. A biblical vision is a society that is very masculine when it needs to be in terms of uh, dealing with external threats, but at the same time, uh, compassionate when it comes to helping its own citizens get on their feet. And in the same way that a mother and a father raise children to become independent, not dependent, a wise society does not raise its citizens to be dependent, raises them to be independent. And, uh, and here comes the important thing, you see. As societies lose, I'm talking, speaking now about Western societies, lose their biblical faith. They lose that masculinity that's part of it because, remember, the default condition is feminine. You want to know why more men become or transition to females than females to men? Because it's easier to be women than men. It's the default condition. Men slide inevitably in that condition. In other words, in the same way that it takes a jolt of chemical energy to change that initial female-looking fetus into a male, testosterone around about the eighth week of uh, gestation, well, in exactly the same way, if men stop absorbing energy, they devolve towards the feminine. They become, because it takes energy, you know, they, it used to be very common in American culture for mothers to tell their kids, just wait till your father comes home, because it was seen as right and appropriate for the father to administer the discipline, particularly if the child is male, because male children do far better accepting the discipline from a father than from their mother. Very, very difficult for single moms to raise boys. It is. And so... You've got you to gotta understand that if a man stops working on himself, if a man stops drawing on the energy from his church or his synagogue, his spiritual leader, if he stops drawing on the energy from his association with other men, right? a wise wife makes sure that her husband has guy time. It's important because these are the things that help replenish the masculinity. They help maintain the masculine energy because the default condition is feminine, whether it's in utero or in high school. It doesn't make any difference. It takes a constant infusion of energy. While the boy is still a young boy, it's got to come from his father and also from his mother. 
that as an adult male, we need to absorb masculine energy to stay men because the natural default condition is to You know what? It's much nicer to give in to your kids. Much nicer. Rather than having to administer discipline and make your child cry, you had a tough day at work, it's really much easier to not say bedtime, your mom has been busy all day, it's now I'm going to put you to bed, it's 7 o'clock, it's bedtime and off to bed you go. You know what? You can scream as much as you like. I'll still pick you up and take you to bed. It's very hard to do that. Much easier to devolve towards the feminine. Okay, how about I give you another five minutes? Or how about if I give you a candy? If I give you a chocolate, will you go to bed? I'm not saying that's what mothers do, but I'm saying it is feminine on the part of a man to evade the masculine role in this area. I hope I'm making sense here to you. I hope I am. It's, it, it is, if you think about it, you think this is tough, tough material to hear, and it's tough, tough material to convey. But the point that uh, I want you to understand is that uh, the natural condition is femininity. It takes energy to raise masculine men and energy to be and stay and sustain yourself as a masculine man. It's not easy. It makes perfect sense to me that in a world gone mad, more men want to devolve into women than women want to become men. makes perfect sense to me. But now we uh, have to understand what is it that's going on here in our culture. Well, to do that, I need to tell you about something called Stockholm Syndrome. Do you know what Stockholm Syndrome is? Um, it's something that has been going on as long as the story of humanity has, has existed. What happened in Stockholm in 1973 was a hostage situation, and it went on for several days. At the end of it, it turned out that most of the hostages, male and female, began associating much more closely with the villains who captured them and held them captive than they did with the police who rescued them. They were taking the sides of their captors. And this has been found to take place so often that it now has this name, Stockholm Syndrome. You might remember Patty Hearst back in the, and I want to say it was um, in the 70s, uh, captured by the Symbionese Liberation Army in, uh, in San Francisco. And to her parents' horror, the Hearst newspaper empire, her parents uh, were horrified to see her show up in camera security footage helping her captors rob a bank later on. And it was perfectly clear that she had opportunities to escape, but she'd, be, she'd become part of them. My friends, uh, this is something that happens to men who are put in a feminine position of being subservient, of being dependent on somebody else. And I'm not being insulting to women. Ladies, I'm sure that you would agree with me that there are times, particularly when you're expecting a baby or when you're nursing a baby or raising a small baby, you are dependent on a man to protect you and look after you and help take care of you. That's the way it's supposed to be. What are you supposed to do? I guess you could look to the maleness of government to take care of you, as many do. But it's still the same story. And uh, what we're talking about here is that... Um, as long, as long as the story of humanity is being, you know that, I mean, the, uh, the, the, the northern tribes of Scandinavia used to head south and capture women and bring them home. 
And uh, it has been said that one of the reasons that blonde, beautiful women are the uh, rule rather than the exception in Scandinavia is because they were originally marauding tribes that headed south to capture wealth and women. And which women do you think they picked? They picked beautiful blonde women and took them back to Scandinavia. After that, you know, normal genetic and biology, biological factors played their part. But what happened to those women who were captured? Well, exactly the same thing that happened to women who were captured by Indian tribes. It didn't happen that often in the early days of North America, but it did happen. Uh, in places that now became Canada or places that became the United States of America. But there were cases where raiding tribes of Indians captured women. And what happened is that over a period of time, those women didn't ever escape. They became absorbed into the tribe. It is a strange thing, but we are easily drawn to those in power over us and upon whom we depend. It's just a reality. And if you know this, you will be able to see how it works with children and parents. You'll be able to see how it works with uh, workers and their workplaces, their employers. This thing happened to have been called Stockholm Syndrome since 1973, but it's been going on as, as long as humanity is, which is we are drawn psychologically uh, to those who have power over us. And now, my friends... I'm able to tell you why it is that the secular left is so drawn to Islam. And I'm sure if you think about it for just a moment, you will have an aha moment when you see how it all comes together. But I'm, in any event, I'm going to lay that out for you in just a moment. Meanwhile, my website, rabbidaniellappin.com, make sure you're subscribed to my free weekly email thought tools, please. Do make sure of that uh, because I do want to be in touch with you. I want to let you know when I'm going to be in your neighborhood and uh, I want to let you know what's going on and uh, where you can hear me. I also want to be able to hear from you. So all of that at rabbidaniellappin.com. Would you go there? Please stop in there and uh, hit the Contact Us tab. Shoot me an email. Say hi. I appreciate that and uh, I love knowing that this podcast is meaningful to you, valuable to you. That, above all, is what I want to hear. So, uh, back with you in just a moment. Wait right there. You're listening to Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Find more at theblaze.com slash radio. Matt Walsh. Harley Fiorina performed well. In the debate, her closing statement was compelling. Her answer on Planned Parenthood was stirring her comeback to Donald Trump's comment about her face was smart. She made Donald Trump look like an imbecile, but of course that's not a difficult thing to do. She had good answers on things. I'm still very hesitant about her track record ideologically and because of her business track record. Matt Walsh. Available on demand anytime at theblaze.com slash radio. We now return with Rabbi Daniel Lappin on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. The Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. Thanks so much for being here where I, your rabbi, reveal how the world really works. And uh, we are on the tail end of this show. We are on segment eight of podcast number 13. And uh, by the way, folks, if you have not yet heard one through 12 and you are enjoying 
hearing how ancient Jewish wisdom casts a laser beam of incandescent clarity on everything we see in the world around us, then go back and enjoy episodes 1 through 12 after you've uh, finished uh, this one, this 13. And uh, taken all together, I think you will see that it is really a comprehensive and total course in, yes, how the world really does work. So now we've got a, a world in which Islam, a very masculine kind of um, uh, culture. And in terms of understanding the difference between a masculine culture and a feminine culture, well, uh, you know, the good Lord gave us bodies that served as a very useful, practical, physical indicator of much deeper and more hidden spiritual realities. And so um, it's not surprising that we recognize that masculinity is characterized by a putting out an aggressiveness a, uh, um, and also a, a sort of jutting, uh, urgent, visible moving forward. I mean, all you have to do is look at a, a, a masculine part of the anatomy, particularly at the moment of its maximum masculinity. And I think the word jutting and aggressive kind of match it, don't you think? And how about on the feminine side? Far more invisible, restrained, uh, far less evident, far less aggressive, far less out there. In other words, receptive. Big difference. Now, if you look at, at Islam, is it hard to see that it is a masculine sort of culture? And now if you take a look at American liberalism, Take a look at what has become of American foreign policy, and I'm, I'm recording this early, um, or at least I should say late, uh, middle to late uh, 2015, for, <laughs> for those of you who may be listening at a time when America has changed dramatically. But um, at, at this point in uh, uh, September, October uh, 2015, I don't think anybody would dispute the fact that America has become a very feminine culture, and I'm, I'm not talking about uh, the, the, the good parts of the military, but I'm talking about the fact that uh, two American servicemen, as I record this, are in danger of having their military careers terminated. you know why? Because they pushed around an Afghani guy who had been abusing boys in the worst possible way. And this was under American auspices. Well, you, you're not supposed to push people around or punch people. That's terrible. Called the feminization of the military to bring it into line with the rest of our culture. How do you think other countries look at America right through uh, this period ending 2015? How do other countries look at America as a strong, virile force in the world or as a little girl? As a little girl, right? Do you remember when uh, the one-time governor of California, with his thick German accent, <laughs> spoke about girly men, girly men? 
and caused enormous consternation and great upset on the left. Uh, there's an understanding that uh, people, societies, can be masculine or feminine. And secularism, liberalism, progressivism, socialism, all different words and different degrees of the same thing, tug a society towards being feminine. And America has become a feminine society in every possible way, driven by the left. Now, remember Stockholm Syndrome. Remember girls who are captured by strong, dominant men? How about, how about it back at high school? Do you remember how frustrating it was for all, to all the good guys that the girls that they longed for were only drawn to the bad guys, the guys in leather jackets who drove motorcycles? And what about the good guys who, who came and did their homework and were mastering everything and were ultimately going to one day be the employers of the guys with leather jackets and motorcycles? And the girls were drawn to the bad guys. It's all part of the same thing. It's all part of the same thing. And you should now see why liberals are drawn to Islam. It's Stockholm Syndrome. Islam is strong, controlling, uh, bullying, forceful, thuggish, powerful. In, in many ways, the worst aspects of masculinity, but masculinity nonetheless. Muslims are like the street gangs of the international community, <laughs> right? I mean, that's, that's pretty straightforward. And guess who's drawn to them? Not the guys, not the men, the girls are. Or in social terms, the liberals, the left. The left finds it very appealing. And in, uh, in this strange psychological phenomenon we know of as the uh, Stockholm Syndrome, the left is in thrall to Islam. They, they feel captured by them and captivated by them. It's almost a, a sexual psycho thing. It's bizarre and weird, but it is how the world really works. And that is exactly what is going on. When you see the universities not standing up for Western culture, not standing up for the values espoused by Judaism and Christianity, by the Bible, not standing up for any of that, but rolling over to Islamic bullying on virtually every governmental university campus in the country? Why? For the same reason that hostages take the side of the people who were going to hurt them and may still hurt them. It doesn't matter. That's the strange thing about the way we're constituted. And the only thing is to do our best to understand it and understand how the world really works so as that we can cope with it and combat it and ultimately defeat it. But it's one of the things in hostage situations that, uh, that hostage negotiators are always very aware of. They've got to do everything in their power to make sure that the hostages do not psychologically begin associating with the captors. Well, the left has begun associating with Islam because deep down the left believes that Islam is stronger than they are. Why is Germany, France, Norway, Sweden, Italy, England, why are they absorbing 
countless refugees beyond their capacity to absorb, beyond their capacity to retain their own civilization and their own culture. Why? Because they've fallen into love with Islam. That's what's happened. They have become feminized by liberalism. That's the process. One of the reasons, one of the reasons that faith and the Bible is so vital in a society is because it provides that injection of societal testosterone. It's the Bible that teaches and expects men to be men and women to be women. It is not an accident that women and children first is something that happened on the Titanic. It happened on the Birkendale. It happened on British ships. It happened on Western ships. But how about all the other shipwrecks around the world from the many other cultures? No history at all of men, of men saying women and children first because there's no requirement on men to be men. And for a culture to exist, we need men to be men and we need women to be women. And we need the society itself to have enough masculinity in it that it can fight to retain its own identity and its own existence rather than folding and being willingly enveloped into the capturing culture. That's right. The women that were captured by Indian tribes, Native American tribes to you, those women, yeah, they didn't fight. They folded. They became part of that culture. And then they gave birth to children fathered by the very men who captured them, and those children became part of the new tribe. And, uh, I mean, there, there are tragic stories of this. Just go back to some of the early writings of North America, and uh, you'll, you'll see this happening often enough. Well, now you can see it happening on the international stage, where the feminized societies, and if you don't know that Norway, Sweden, Holland, England, France, Italy, Germany have become feminized societies, then you need to go there and visit. You can't mistake it. It's as evident as you like. And so sure enough, uh, they are welcoming their captors, even though these are the very people who are going to hurt them. And it doesn't matter at all, because on a deep societal level, they've begun associating with them. Uh, you know that university dean, that university administrator, that head of students who protects the rights of Muslim students to prevent speakers coming to campus with whom they disagree? Have you any idea of how back in the day if a, a speaker wanted to uh, speak out against the apartheid regime of South Africa and a few South African students said, oh, we feel offended. This much. Can you imagine that an anti-apartheid speaker would have been turned away from campus? Of course not. But an anti-Muslim speaker routinely get turned away from American university campuses. Why? Because the university administrators have fallen in love with Islam. They've fallen in love with the strength, virility, masculinity, and yes, thuggishness of Islam because they don't see it in their own culture anymore. There is no more masculine pride in America. It's gone. There is precious little of it left in Canada, precious little of it left in France and Italy and Germany and Norway and Holland and Sweden. 
very little of it left in England. And the feminine yearns for the masculine, my friends. The feminine always yearns for the masculine. When uh, girls are, are young and immature, they see masculinity just in terms of the, the violence and in terms of the aggressiveness and in terms even of the capacity for brutality. And when girls become a little older and a little more mature, they also see it. They understand then that masculinity is also restraint and strength and discipline and honor and, yes, financial capacity as well. That's right. And then they marry the guys that they used to ignore in high school. But on a societal level, of course, I'm afraid the time frame is perilously long. And right now, we see the elites of Western civilization laying themselves down before their Muslim captors in a bizarre replay of psychosexual submission. And they welcome and submit in every possible way to whatever the aggressiveness and provocativeness of Islam is willing to put out. And the Western, liberal, socialistic, progressive elites say, bring it on. But all the hope, my friends, is uh, contained in you. The hope is contained in those of us who know how the world really works, in those of us who understand what the picture really is all about. And that makes your role, wherever you are listening, your role in the society of which you're a part, your role in your family and in your neighborhood, in your associations, and yes, in your country, your role becomes ever more urgent and ever more desperately needed because deliverance will only come from the hands of those who know how the world really works. Until next week's episode number 14, I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin, wishing you a week of good health and prosperity. God bless. Ancient solutions to modern problems. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin, on demand on the Blaze Radio Network.